1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are make, making confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good, and if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not to be laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinner, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers and for murderers, the sexual immoral, sexually immoral, the men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doc doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service, to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding the faith with a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not, that may learn not to blaspheme. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you again this morning, as you have just heard a reading of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Again, the goal is uh, with the reading of the, the word this way is we want to make sure that we believers are understanding the overall context of what it is that we're reading, what it is that we're studying as we walk together uh, through the word, breaking it down passage by passage. So uh, that is the goal there. So I'm thankful for Pastor Corey for reading that. I'm sorry I came up and tried to steal his thunder there for a minute. I uh, got a little anxious about getting up here and getting before you. And so, again, it is good to see you. It is good to be together uh, here in the house of the Lord. Uh, it is good to see our families and our seniors. And we welcome uh, our seniors who and our family members who are still home uh, watching this, uh, going to be watching this later 
um, as it'll be recorded and up online uh, probably several days from now. But in the meantime, I'm thankful by God's grace that you are here, that you are with us, that we are together in worship. And so we are going to continue rolling on into our study that we have called Letters from the pastor. Now, we've actually uh, wrapped up Titus uh, this past week, and so if you've not had an opportunity to listen through Titus, then I would encourage you to go back and pick up those messages and make sure you listen to them, because I think what they'll do is they'll begin to help set the tone of where we are going as a church, but then at the same time really help set the tone for where we are going to be moving as we now move into our study through First Timothy. Now, as you remember from the Titus study, so too will you see in the Timothy study that you'll actually see common themes uh, between Timothy and between Titus. You see, both these men were young pastors. Both of them were loved by Paul and both were called to shepherd and lead two distinct churches with their own unique challenges. Now, Obviously, we can already conclude from the reading of 1 Timothy chapter 1 that this was a letter that was written by Paul to Timothy, but he also wrote this letter for the good of all of God's people. So Paul, in writing to Timothy, obviously we're going to see him deal with uh, mainly with the false teachers who are in the church, Um, and so we should pay close and careful attention to that because the reality is in our churches today, we are seeing false teachings and false teachers plague our church. Now the reality is, as we've already studied with Titus, false teachers is not something that is new to the church. In fact, it's not even new to the modern day church. In fact, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 30, when giving his instructions to the elders of Ephesus, Paul warns them that fierce wolves will enter the church, wreak havoc, and lure people away from the church. Now, we are clearly seeing this played out today in our modern churches. You see, we have people who now have leaders who have turned to what can be described as the prosperity gospel. We have churches that now no longer preach the word of God, but rather they teach feel-good messages to feel-good churches that believe in a feel-good God. This is something that we actually describe today as moralistic therapeutic deism. There are also false teachers in the church who make up lies about the church. They spread rumors and lies about the leadership of the church in order to lead people away from the church. So sadly, as we begin our time here in 1 Timothy, we are going to clearly see that Paul is now warning Timothy and the elders. And this warning is not something that came centuries later. Rather, it was staring Timothy in the face as he was trying to lead the church in Ephesus at the time of the writing of 1 Timothy. You see, we need to understand that for Paul in writing this letter, Paul gave his life establishing and strengthening churches among both Jews and Gentiles. So false teaching for Paul was more than just another theological hurdle. Rather, it was dangerous and a deadly disease that needed to be removed in order for a church to remain healthy. You see, Paul, in speaking of false teachers, he's not trying to just nitpick people. Rather, what we see is that Paul 
in his writings to 1 Timothy and again in Titus, he cared deeply about the people he ministered to. He knew that the people that he loved needed more than simple human wisdom. Rather, they needed to stand upon the truth that is God's word and to then fix their hope on the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's, for a moment, just look together at Paul's opening words to Timothy and to the church that Timothy was called to lead in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you again to turn with us to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We are going to begin reading in verse 1. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, writing to the church at Ephesus, writing for believers then as well as believers today. Paul writes these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to just take the next few moments that we have together and to to study your word. Father, I pray that as we look over these two verses, this greeting that we have from Paul, Father, I pray that you would Help us to begin to draw a better understanding of what it is that you have called us to. And so, Father, we pray that as we worship you in the study of your word now, may you and you alone be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are and how your word still speaks to us. Now, Father, prepare our hearts for your truth today. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you. Some of you may be thinking, okay, clearly we've covered two verses, so we should be in and out of this message in roughly five to ten minutes. Well, unfortunately, Paul says a lot within two verses, so it may take a little bit longer than that. Some of you may be here thinking, really, all we're going to get through today is the greeting I mean, I can understand that. I can understand that concern uh, because you see, when we begin reading one of the letters that Paul wrote, or particularly reading one of the letters from the New Testament, many of us breeze right past the introductions. Many of us blow right past the greetings when we read the word without really seeing their theological implications or the message that is being communicated from the very beginning of the letter. So for Paul here, in this particular greeting, he is already beginning to set the tone for what he wants Timothy to know and for the church at Ephesus to learn. Now again, we already know several things from this particular letter. We know that this letter was clearly written by Paul to Timothy to the church at Ephesus. 
Now, if you've done any digging before, you've probably researched the city of Ephesus. We know that Ephesus itself was a large, diverse, and religiously complex city that was flourishing both commercially and financially. We also know that Ephesus was the location of the Temple of Artemis, and so cult followers of Artemis have now infiltrated and influenced and engulfed themselves in a number of activities, work, and politics within the community of Ephesus. So clearly, we can already begin seeing from the onset that Timothy was not ministering in a culture that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. So naturally, there were a lot of external pressures and forces working against the church. And yet at the same time, Timothy was dealing with false teachers. You see, Timothy was dealing with false leaders within the church who were attempting to mislead the believers for their own personal gain. You see, these leaders were trying to add to the gospel and thus led Paul to write this particular letter. So in writing 1 Timothy, Paul wanted to encourage Timothy He wanted to encourage the church, but he also wanted to teach God's people how we are to conduct ourselves within the church. So as we read this letter and as we walk through this study together, we should begin to see how it is that we as the faithful, how we as believers in Christ are to conduct ourselves as well. Now Paul obviously begins his letter with a greeting to encourage Timothy and to encourage the church as well. And he does this by reminding them that there is hope for the church. You see, we need to remember before we even get into verse one, we need to remember this simple truth that the church was God's idea. The church is not ours to run. Rather, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the one who founded the church by his life, death, and resurrection. And so what matters most in the church, it's not our small groups. It's not when we gather. It's not our numbers. It's not our tradition, nor is it our history. And it's definitely not our accolades. Rather, what matters is what the Lord of the church has said according to his word. My prayer is that as a faithful, gathered body of believers who profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, my prayer is that we would never lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. So we look at our text this morning, and we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says these words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause there and think about this for a moment because this is not the normal dear diary, today was a good day type of opening. No, Paul actually opens his introduction and his greeting by giving us his credentials as one who speaks with authority. 
Now, these are actually interesting words because in order to be an apostle, you had to meet certain requirements as listed out in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Either you were one of the original 12 or you were present during the earthly ministry of Jesus from the baptism by John to his resurrection and ascension. Then what Jesus would do with these apostles is that he would then send these men out to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. So to say that you are an apostle of Jesus Christ, you are now asking your audience to pay close attention because you are now a special emissary of the king of the universe. Now, obviously, we know that Paul did not accompany Jesus during his earthly ministry. We also know that Paul was not present at the resurrection. However, we do know that Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, when you look back over at Acts chapter 9, we see that by God's sovereign grace, we see a former persecutor of the church encounter King Jesus. And it's during that encounter that then he is then appointed to the ministry by Jesus Christ himself. What would then happen to Paul is he would become arguably the greatest missionary in the history of the church. In fact, he would become so important that we know that Paul would become the author of a significant portion of what we read today in the New Testament. So what Paul is doing by his own words is he is now establishing the authority with, with which he speaks and because of that authority, we should now listen to what it is that he is saying. You see, the same holds true for us today as believers. You see, our authority is the word of God. If the word of God commands it, we should live it. If the word of God says it, then we should believe it. So when we read the word of God, we are reading a book with authority. At the same time, when we hear the word of God being taught, it's at this point that we need to begin to pay careful attention to what it is that is being taught and what it is that is being said. Because you see, the word of God is the authority. And so we should faithfully listen to what it is that is being proclaimed to determine whether this is right and of God or whether what it is that we are hearing is false. You see, many people today will misquote, misuse, and abuse scripture for their personal gain. That's why it's imperative for us as believers to know the word. From there, Paul moves on and he says, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, what a powerful statement that is now coming from Paul. Again, Paul here, by saying these words, he's now establishing the fact that he was not elected by men. Rather, he was divinely appointed to be an authoritative representative of the risen and ruling Lord. In other words, Paul was telling us that he was called 
commanded and commissioned by Jesus Christ. And therefore, his authority is from God alone. But then notice this about Paul. He is not only in this moment declaring and affirming his own authority, but now notice that Paul is now making the strong claim for Jesus Christ as deity. You see, unlike the false teachers during Paul's day and during Timothy's day, and even several of the modern-day scholars that we have today, Jesus was not made deity by man. Jesus becoming deity did not all of a sudden happen at a meeting or at a conference. Rather, he was and is deity since the beginning of time. Now, we know this because we have a powerful conjunction right here in 1 Timothy. It's the word and. In fact, I would encourage you at this point, if you're one of those folks who highlights in your Bible or circles in your Bible, and maybe, maybe you're like some of the teenagers that I know that have multiple colors of pens in your Bible, this is one of those great moments to circle every time you see the word and. You actually see it three times in these first two verses. You see, this conjunction, and, Paul is telling us that his command to do God's will was both given by God and by Christ Jesus. Now, he's going to say, and, again, when we get to verse 2, when he speaks of salvation, and he speaks of it in terms of the words grace, peace, and mercy, And we're going to get to more of that here in just a moment. But then notice that this salvation in verse 2 now comes from God and Jesus. You see, Paul is saying here that the Son and the Father are equal in authority. Therefore, Jesus is God. Paul is beginning to shape the framework of what the Trinity looks like and how it moves. Now, by saying God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope, what Paul is doing is he's pointing us back to the salvation that has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ. In other words, again, Paul is telling us that God and Jesus are one in the same. Now, I love what John Stott says about this particular passage, and I love what he says about Paul here in this moment. He says this, Paul locates his apostleship in a historical context whose beginning was the saving activity of God our Savior in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus and whose culmination will be Christ Jesus our hope, his personal and glorious coming, which is the object of our Christian hope and which will bring down the curtain on the historical process. In other words, we are already seeing that Paul's opening statement is now telling us that everything that God has done, and it's also telling us everything that God will do in order to save his people. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that's really not a bad opening line. I mean, have you ever thought for a moment when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about our own personal testimonies. I'm not talking about our own stories of how we came to faith. When we are telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, have you ever written that out before? I've seen people write out pages 
on what the gospel is. I've seen some people who are, who are really sharp and they can, they can draw the, the gospel message down to a paragraph. But then notice what Paul is doing. He is giving us the gospel in one sentence. You see, Paul opens here with the reminder of where our hope comes from. Even before he jumps into dealing with so many difficult issues that Timothy was faced with. You see, when we come to the word of God and we begin thinking about our own lives, here's the reality. The world is going to teach us a thousand ways to start your day. In fact, you can jump on YouTube and search best ways to start your morning and everybody's got a plan. In fact, I did this this past week and that was a mistake. There were several that I agreed with. Some of them said, start with a morning cup of coffee. I can amen and affirm that. One guy said, you should start by eating a piece of chocolate cake. I don't know what the health benefit is there, but it doesn't matter. I can amen and affirm that. One guy said that we need to jump rope for 45 minutes to start our day. As soon as we get out of bed, walk outside and begin jumping rope. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you he lost me at walking outside first thing in the morning. It's too hot for that. There was another guy who tried to tell you you need to stretch in the morning and you need to, you need to uh, go run a 5K first in the morning. Again, things that I'm not quite convinced that I can amen and affirm. But notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is using verse 1 to remind us as believers in Christ where we should begin our days. Our days should begin by remembering where our hope comes from. You see, it's almost like we can wake up and sing, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, my prayer is that we would be reminded every morning. And not just be reminded of it, but say it to ourselves every morning where our hope lies. My prayer is that we would be reminded every day of where our salvation comes from and where or to whom we stand upon. He is Christ, the solid rock. Paul goes from there and he gets into verse 2 and he gives us in verse 2 this simple phrase, to Timothy, my true child into faith. Now, we know that Timothy traveled with Paul as a fellow worker in the ministry. We know that Timothy was also discipled by Paul, and so therefore we can conclude that this is actually a personal letter written from a man who looked to another as his own son. So yes, we can definitively say this morning that Paul loved Timothy. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, in speaking of Timothy, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, coming back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, we see the term here for true child in the Greek is actually the word technon, which means dear child. 
In other words, what we get from this word is we were beginning to, beginning to understand that these two men shared a close and personal bond and relationship to one another. Chances are that Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey as he passed through Lystra. Timothy would ultimately begin his ministry under the leadership and direction and guidance of Paul. These two men would travel together to places like Thessalonica and Corinth and to Jerusalem. In fact, it would be Timothy who would stay with Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. We also know that Paul and Timothy collectively were together when six books of the New Testament were written with Paul being the chief writer. We know those books are 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon. We also know that Paul would send Timothy again to Corinth to represent himself. And then ultimately Paul would send Timothy to lead the church at Ephesus. You see, these weren't just men who passed each other in church. These weren't men who simply walked by each other and just greeted each other the traditional way that we greet one another today with a simple, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, moving on. No, you see, these men traveled miles together. They celebrated together. They suffered together. They ministered together. Paul poured his life into the church, and at the same time, he poured his life into Timothy. You see, this is what would ultimately lead Paul to say of Timothy again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. And speaking of Timothy, he says these words, For I have no one like him. You see, we need to pay attention to this relationship that Paul and Timothy share together. You see, when we disciple someone, it's got to go beyond simply running into them at church on Sunday morning. When we disciple someone or we are looking to be discipled, it can't be just that thing we do when we show up as a group on Sunday night or that thing we do when we are in our Sunday school classes. Rather, when we begin to disciple someone or we are being discipled, that person now becomes a part of our family. In other words, we begin to do life together. So you see, as believers in, this Christ, as in Christ in this room, like Paul, we need to see that not only are we called to pour ourselves into the ministry that God has called us to, but at the same time, we are to pour ourselves into one another. We are to train. We are to teach because of our call and because of our love for one another as believers. You see, the reality is Paul lived out the call of Psalm 78, 6. When speaking of how we are to teach and the fact that we are to be teaching God's commands, it says, so that the next generation might know them. You see, that is our calling as well. It is simply not enough as parents to drop our children off at church and hope for the best. 
we have a biblical responsibility to train up our children. As older members in the room, we have a biblical responsibility to pass down the word of God and the ministries that we once led to the next generation. When we gather together in worship, we are to gather to be examples for the younger generation to look to, to be encouraged by in how we lead them in worship. And yet at the same time, even as younger women and younger men in this room, and we've already talked about this with Titus, but now we're already seeing it again. We have a responsibility to not only be looking to those whom it is that we need to disciple, at the same time we need to be looking for those who can disciple us because there is much wisdom that we can gain and learn from one another. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. When we look around our faith family today, who are we invested in? Who is investing in us? Now, we can't be like society at this point and all of a sudden put that question on other people and say, this is your fault. No, when it comes to discipleship, it is on us. Whether we are being discipled or whether we are the ones doing the discipling, it is on us. And so let us be like Paul. Let us take responsibility of the call. Let us take responsibility of pouring ourselves not only into our ministries, but also into the next generation as well. Paul would then move into what would become the closing of his greeting. You see, at this point, Paul would say these words to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we've already covered the oneness of God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've also covered the fact that the deity of Jesus Christ has now been established by Paul. So, let's focus on the words that Paul begins with here. He gives us the words grace, mercy, and peace. Now, it's at this point, I would encourage you as we continue to walk through 1 Timothy, you should underline or highlight every time you see the words grace, mercy, and peace. I'm not going to do the homework for you. But what I do want you to do is pay attention to what Paul is doing here at his introduction. You see, it's interesting to note this introduction from Paul. You see, Paul begins with grace. Grace itself would have been a traditional Greek salutation. He then ends with peace or shalom, which is a traditional Jewish greeting. But yet right in the middle, he inserts the word mercy, which now makes this a distinctively Christian blessing. You see what Paul is doing. At the ending of his greeting, he has now established from the very beginning of this letter that this epistle will be full of Jesus Christ. It will be full of his grace, full of his mercy, and full of his 
peace. This letter from first, uh, this letter of First Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, it is going to be full of hope that one day Christ will return in glory. It's going to be full of the grace that Christ offers to sinners, and it's going to be full of mercy that Jesus Christ gives to the needy, and it's going to be full of peace that Christ has now made with God through his death on the cross. You see, the full gospel is being put on display at the very beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy. And so what we're going to see from here is grace and mercy and peace will be reoccurring themes as Paul now walks Timothy through the trials that are facing the church at Ephesus. So it's at this point when we look at our own lives, we need to realize that as followers of God, as those who claim that we are believers in Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace should now be distinguishing marks of the church today. And so we have to ask ourselves, are these marks visible? Are they present within our own lives? Or better yet, are they present within our churches? Or have we drowned these marks in a world that wants us to cancel one another out? You see, in God's word, we see throughout his word that God's dealings with his people, though sometimes hard, they are always full of grace, full of mercy, and yes, full of peace. In other words, for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, for those who are battling sin today, this letter, this message is a message of good news. And so Paul establishes that from the beginning of 1 Timothy. So as believers, as we walk through this letters, we need to prepare ourselves because though the words may seem hard, this letter is packed with the good news of Jesus Christ for those who will believe in him. And that's just two verses. What a glorious introduction we now have from Paul. You see, Timothy nor the church at Ephesus were being called at any point to either clean up their act or else in order to earn God's favor. Neither are we as followers of Christ called to appease a perfectly just and holy God through our own works, but rather God has decisively paid the price for our sin by the cross and the death of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see, God, through Christ, has now secured for us an eternal and unshakable hope in what is to come. And that hope is something that can never be taken away from us. That's why we believe in perseverance of the saints. You see, what God will do through Paul's writing is he is now, by his grace, his mercy, and his peace, he is now going to address us to conduct ourselves rightly 
in his household. And the only way that that can be done is by his grace. You see, true God-honoring obedience is always rendered in the context of a loving relationship that is made possible by the gospel. So my prayer is that as we continue to walk through this letter over the next several weeks together, my prayer is that we would reflect upon the mercy that we have been shown, a mercy that reveals Christ's extraordinary patience and his love for his people, and that we would begin to see that through Christ, by the glory of God, we would see a grace, a mercy, and a peace that reveals that there is hope for the church. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now. We thank you so much for this day. Father, we thank you that in just two simple verses, we can see your grace, we can see your mercy, we can see your peace. Father, we thank you for how you have provided each of those, each of those elements to us today. Thank you that we have that provision because of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, we pray collectively together that as we move forward, as we continue to learn in 1 Timothy what it means to be a church and how to conduct ourselves as a church, Father, I pray that in every lesson you have for us, Father, may we see your grace, may we see and know your mercy, and may we live in your peace. Father, I pray that these would be distinguishing marks of the church that you have called together here at Southside. Father, we pray that in our actions and our words, God, fill us with clarity, fill us with wisdom, give us the boldness to proclaim who you are. Father, in a world right now that claims to be progressive, claims to be moving forward, Father, I pray that we, the church, would remind people that no matter how far we think we can get on our own, Father, we only go as far as you allow because you are sovereign God. Father, our hope is not in local officials. Our hope is not in local government leaders. Our hope is in you. And so, Father, I pray that we would find ourselves immersed in your word, surrounding ourselves by your, your teaching so that we can instruct others of your ways. And, Father, we pray that in our lives may you and you alone be glorified. And, God, no matter what tomorrow holds, whether we are able to gather or whether we are told we cannot. Father, I pray that we would look to you remembering and realizing that our hope as a church is in you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now God, fill us with your grace. Fill us with your mercy and your peace.
May our actions and words speak of who you are. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this time. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.